Hi, I'm Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I am Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. We love DC animation. So here's something we enjoy in this bonus episode of... Yeah, another DC animated podcast, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Welcome to yet another episode of yet another DC animated podcast. My name is Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I am Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. Andrew and I have been recording this podcast since 2021. That was the year a little known indie movie called Zack Snyder's Justice League released. Uh, measuring at over 200 minutes of runtime, this little known DC film uh, features live action dark side which you don't see often and is entirely the product of fan campaign fan funded uh just like spider-man lotus i believe <laughs> if my sources are correct <laughs> oh my god well you think about it in that way it's like two fan films of that and this is what we got justice league and spider-man lotus both of which have some controversy <laughs> 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 choose your fighter <laughs> fortunately though um the fans aren't wrong all the time especially for today's episode as we have our fan asked questions to celebrate not one not two but the hundredth episode of yet another dc animated podcast it's it's our centennial that means we're getting old but we haven't lost any of the flavor any of the spice <laughs> Exactly. We're not leaving. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes, a hundred episodes in, we have covered everything from the DC AMU to Static Shock, uh, the whole history of DC Entertainment. We've traveled the multiverse and all wrapping it, not wrapping it up, but still currently going through the uh, the Young Justice series. Andrew, how are you feeling, though, right now as uh, just shared how old we were in TV watching the years? Man, uh, well, you know, it's like Murtaugh, I'm too old. No, uh, this is, uh, <laughs> it's crazy to, first of all, to just think of doing a hundred of these is quite insane. Uh, <laughs> first and foremost, but uh, yeah, it, it as far as we've gone, I still feel there's so much more to cover, so much more to tackle, animated, whole animated series we haven't even touched yet. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm, I still feel energized after all this time and yeah, that's, I think that's the, the best part of it. And, uh, where are you at? How are you feeling? I'm feeling the same way. You know, I'm happy that one, I get to do this with you because, uh, you know, when we first, oh, <laughs> 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 I got me tearing up already hasn't even been five minutes. <laughs> Um, but yeah, getting the chance to do this with you because, you know, I've, we've always talked about um, the fact that, like, we've been talking about this stuff since we were in 1996, back when a lot of these shows are coming out and trying to create their universes. And, you know, it was it's been an honor to just be able to always talk about this week by week, breaking these episodes down and looking at it from the perspectives of how we were when we were kids first watching this. And now that we have a bit more knowledge about what the heck is happening in this world. But just want to do a quick thing, because even though we are on episode 100, um, 
no, maybe there's some people out there who are now tuning in, um, now learning about what the DC animated world is or DC in general. So just giving a quick bio about ourselves. So uh, once again, my name is Shamar Griffith, a.k.a. Comic Shams. Um, I'm a blurred. That is a black nerd for those who may know or may not know. If you know, you know. So I've always loved these like epic tales and art and animation. Like I grew up reading like Greek mythology and all that. And seeing heroes and villains kind of play out throughout time and cultures, I realized that cartoons and superheroes basically have the three things I was always looking for. Epic tales, art, and the animation. So I like Scrooge McDuck dived into this world. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, you know, honestly, they say growing up that um, I've always heard that like cartoons are going to rot your brains. And, you know, that's always going to be the thing. There's nothing you can actually learn from cartoons. But I found that to be uh, different from my own upbringing, because being from where I'm from, I never got a chance to experience a lot of those like big cultural moments or um, such as like maybe going to an opera or seeing a Broadway show. However, I kind of knew all the context of a lot of these materials out there. And I realized it's because a lot of it played out in these different animated spaces. And that kind of made me realize that I was learning so much culturally through cartoons and animation, like knowing what the Barber Seville and the William Tell Overture was when I was like five years old. I don't know why <laughs> I knew that. But I realized that there's an importance out there for having art and especially illustration or animation to be shared out. And that's why I kind of connected it, connected with it so strongly. And that is me in a nutshell. You know, now, even now in my own personal life, I try to make sure that art and news and everything is at the forefront for people's minds since I work in the philanthropic world to make sure that um, these kind of things are properly being funded. So I'm glad to see that I have, you know, I'm not a voice actor. I'm not an animator. I'm not anything like that. I'm just a guy who loves cartoons and trying to make sure that um, these forms of social commentary are being put out there. So thank you all to the people who are creating this stuff. And for the people who create it into the future, um, just know you already got a fan. Wonderfully said. Um, so I, yeah, I'd say <laughs> I'm a blurred with the live pretty much the same things. Yeah. That's <laughs> um, but yeah, I, as I always tell people, this is related. I promise the thing that got me into writing at first was the fact that I read a lot of goosebumps, choose your own adventures. And I was always frustrated where it end. And I, I, I wanted to do more of the story, but I knew there wouldn't be any more. So then I figured, why don't I just write the story? And that started to uh, get this love of writing and continuing material and continuing adventures. And particularly what I think the animated shows do so well is there's always this sense of the adventure continues. There is more. There's it's never the final images of Justice League Unlimited and Justice League are them running to the next adventure. There's always going to be more. These stories will always be reimagined and reinterpreted. And with that comes connection and people that you can say, do you remember that episode of Heart of Ice from Batman animated series? Do you remember the first time you found out who the Red Hood was? It, these these 
pop culture moments that unify us and remind us how stories are important to us and especially stories that are so universal with characters that you go anywhere in the world and people can bond and identify. So I think, yeah, keeping that tradition, keeping storytelling alive has always been something I've loved and admired. And I think DC Animated does a great job of doing that <laughs> all the time and consistently. <laughs> and so it's it's great to talk about it and always fun. I'm, I mean, that's just so awesome to hear because it just shows that like we are one of two or rather of many people out there who probably have very similar feelings to um, the DC animated world or even just the world of storytelling and the world of animation. Um, a lot of whom are our fans who are out there who, as we mentioned earlier, we polled a lot of our fans or rather, sorry, asked them to ask us questions um, that's going to be covered in today's uh, 100th episode this way you get a chance to know who we are a bit, where we're thinking about on certain things, and more importantly, get a chance to see what we're thinking about the full scope of like the world when it comes to like either DC or any other kind of like IP that's out there. Now that we've kind of gotten through that, maybe it's time we start answering some of these questions. And I gotta say, I'm really feeling whelmed, I guess. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> whelmed over the fact that we got so many questions from people. So we are going to go through all of them. So bear with us. This may be like a two plus hour. This may be longer than just Zack Snyder's Justice League episode. <laughs> Seven hours. <laughs> all right. So our first question that we got was, what are your favorite YJ? And I'm assuming that means for Young Justice Archers throughout the TV and the comics. Uh, Andrew, would you, like, would you like to go first? Yeah, this is going to be fairly straightforward. It's Artemis. Uh, there's really nobody <laughs> else for me. She's the archer of my dreams, like <laughs> Athena herself. Uh, yeah, no, I think Artemis is such a a fascinating character. Fantastic backstory about, you know, having these villainous parents, but not wanting to fall into that trap and trying to overcome that and hide that, but also not deny her family lineage. I think that's a really fascinating character and fascinating evolution. And of course, I could not give it to Roy Boy, any of the Roys. They're just too aggro um, for me. So, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, Artemis all the way for me. Yeah, I'm also siding with Artemis. Uh, Y'all already know my feelings about Roy Harper in season one. I don't think that <laughs> when already Artemis was already my clear favorite, uh, you know, Roy, unfortunately, with his speedy aggro <laughs> um, personality just really just tuned me away. And because of that, I also got to give a shout out to her comic book inspiration, Arouette, um, who we do see already popping up in season three. So creating a bit of a separated character here. Um, and I think it's just the fact that in both the show and in the comic, which is pretty cool, is that she actually starts preaching what's it like to get out of the hero game. You know, we always see heroes who are just like, I'm going to be on the front line until I die. I'm going to keep on fighting. You know, we got characters like Wildcat who are who are still fighting out in these streets. And it's just like, <laughs> I mean, there's an early bird special, my dude. Like, <laughs> But I do appreciate having that character being created because we do see that like you don't have to be a hero until you unfortunately die, you know, holding down the front line. You could 
have retirement. You could retire or even become a mentor to another group of heroes in any way, shape or form, which Artemis has done plenty of times. Arouette has taken the time to go back to school. So, you know, I do appreciate that we get that kind of cool aspect within um, superhero storytelling because it shows us once again that you can be a hero not only as with your fists, but also with your mind as well. Yeah. And, you know, a uh, few well-paced arrows never hurts. Yes. And that too. <laughs> she's, got a, she's a great shot. I will definitely tell you that, especially when she's fighting against people like Harm. <laughs> oh, yeah. We'll, we'll get to, I'm sure we'll get to him. <laughs> yes. Uh, the next question that we got was, what are the top five DC animated movies of the last decade? All right. So we're going back to the ancient years of 2013. Um, <laughs> to be fair, I'm not going to put these in any particular order. I'll let you decide. Mm. Um, but I got to give it up to Hell to Pay, Suicide Squad, Hell to Pay. It is the most fun Suicide Squad movie ever made, live action or otherwise. It really lives the concept anybody can die. And the the universe, thankfully, had the freedom to kill off as many people as it wanted. So it did. And <laughs> there's a really good emotional story at the heart of it. It's probably one of the best cases of Deadshot as a villain slash hero. That doesn't lean either way or the other. So I love Hell to Pay. Um, Batman versus Robin. I'll sing its praises till the day I die. This movie is just so underrated. More people need to see this. But it is a great father-son bonding tale of growing and acceptance but it really does sell the idea of Damien being this vengeance obsessed hero who doesn't think that any other way is valid and Batman being challenged to uh, kill as well and the way that's resolved and the way a character that also sits in the middle that could be what Damien becomes is really fascinating and really cool to explore and the fight scenes are dope as hell definitely got to give it up to apocalypse war culmination of years of storytelling and it's tied in everything it didn't waste time with elements we didn't care about i've been joking through text for a week about aquaman's role in apocalypse war where do you find him and we found a screenshot of him cut in half because that's how much they cared about him <laughs> in this universe uh so and yeah apocalypse war jaw-dropping twist really great culmination of everything that came before um next up unexpected might be but the lego batman movie mm. i think is a fine piece of art it is so funny it is so funny it is such a love letter to batman and the franchise and it really does tell a universal message of it goes into Batman's fear of family. And it really tears that apart <laughs> with Lego figures, with little <laughs> six inch figures, um, manages to tell a clear and concise story about Batman's family issues and why it's so hard for him to connect. Because I think it's that's just taken for granted most of the time that Batman can't connect. But this was a really in depth exploration of what that meant. And I really, um, really appreciated that. And um, yeah, last but certainly not least, Flashpoint Paradox, right? At 2013, I can't, at, when I'm trying to convince people 
that DC animated movies are worth looking at. I I usually go under the red hood, which is a little earlier than that. Um, otherwise, I'd be here. And <laughs> I look at Flashpoint Paradox because, first of all, it's the greatest Flash story ever told in animation. Unfortunately, that's not much competition at all, but it is. <laughs> um, and it just gives an insight to how dark and like people say DC is dark, but then they see something like this and understand there are depths where mm-hmm. they could sink to and what the characters do when they're in that darkness is so fascinating and so engrossing. And uh, of course it has one of the greatest twist endings of them all. So if for some reason you haven't, you followed us this long and haven't seen it, I don't know what you're doing. Go and do it right now. <laughs> Stop. Stop listening to this. Go, go watch Flashpoint Paradox and come back. Uh, but those are my five. What I got to quote Chris Rock from his movie Top Five. Hey, what's your top five? <laughs> that's the quote. Really, that's it. Yeah, really, is the quote. It is. <laughs> oh man! All right. So yeah, you uh, you actually mentioned something a movie that I didn't realize came out during that time, but now I'm gonna have to add it in Lego Batman because it is honestly yes a great film. Uh, it doesn't get as much appreciation as probably should get because of the fact that it's Lego theme. But like, come on, y'all. Like, if you've been listening to us as long as you have, you know that we've mentioned many times that in these movies where it might be super kid focused because of the material, the contents that is being put in there, the animators, the writers, the actors, they all know that y'all, the parents or the guardians or people like us who are, you know, don't have kids, but still want to check out a movie about Batman or something (laughs) are looking for a way to connect with it. And they do such a great job in creating a story where it's just like, no matter what age you're at, you can connect with it and feel it on an emotional level. So yes. uh, Also in no particular order, also adding in um, uh, Lego Batman. I'm also going to add in Teen Titans Go the movie. Uh, This is something that I think, The fact that I got you, Andrew, to actually enjoy this movie because we had to review it for the podcast. I think that that for me always means that like there is nobody out there who can't be a fan of this movie, especially because you were like shitting on it the entire time. Oh, yeah. Yes, of course. (laughs) But yeah, like, you know, it's again, one of those stories where it's just like they know that the movie is aimed to kids but they know apparent that adults are going to be watching it and they made sure to add in as many cameos easter eggs references to keep you entertained and it's a great story too it's a great story about what does it mean to actually um recognize your self-worth because all this time he thinks what the whole plot of the movie is robin thinks that his worth is based on can he actually get a movie made about himself but he realizes that it's the power of his friends and what he recognizes as what is truly important to him is the thing that makes him um, increases his self-worth. Next up, I'm also adding in Flashpoint Paradox. This movie is just miles running miles ahead on a lot of other um, movies that are out there because, you know, it's a story where we see where the world can fall apart if you just make one drastic, one small change, no matter what, whether it be small or drastic. And when that plays out, this is kind of like a, a love letter to all those people who are probably like me thinking in the back of their minds, it's like, what if I did that one thing different that one time? 
and it's like, boom, here's what happens. Full on apocalypse war. Uh, with, but not actually apocalypse war, but just a full on apocalypse. <laughs> Eventually it will be. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, next up, I got two movies with, um, again, no particular order. Batman and Harley Quinn and also Death of Superman. These two movies do a great job in reconnecting you with the individual's place in the title of this movie. For Harley Quinn, she's gotten so much fame because after her introduction in um, the Batman, the animated series, everybody fell in love with her. She went right into the comics, blew up there, and then we had movies made about her. And then we got this one here where everybody was expecting it to, you know, probably not be good because, again, it is a animated film that didn't get a theatrical release. But the way that they captured the essence of Harley Quinn from when she first started all the way up until now, it's amazing. It is. I'm happy to see that she has been transformed in this way where it's just like she has grown so much um, from being just like the Joker's love interest where she wasn't getting that much recognition and in fact unfortunately did seem that she was going through a very um kind of almost an abusive relationship to now being her own person calling batman out on a lot of things like his misuse of psychopath versus sociopath gotta say that's one of my favorite lines from that movie Uh, (laughs) because batman you're not that smart (laughs) um but i gotta say i love the fact that harley just has been becoming more and more of a presence within the DC world and not only as a villain, but also as a hero and, you know, ultimately as an anti-hero. So it's just perfect storytelling here for her. Also death of Superman is, I think what it did for me was ground Superman. It sounds like a weird thing to say, because mm-hmm. you're talking about a man who's just like flies above the skies goes into orbit has traveled multi like different dimensions and everything but what it did was it told a story through the eyes of the people who are interacting with superman ultimately it did lead to his death yes but there was so much love that was put in there that as a person who realizes that over the last couple of years we've just gotten this like superman's this larger than life individual and everybody is just like, you know, we see that he's not going to be anybody I could connect to. Here it is. They told a story that how you can connect with Superman, this guy from, yes, another planet who is just trying to do the good thing. And I think that when this all played out with this death of Superman, you felt it at the end. And I felt it definitely when I saw my boy Bibbo Babowski on the side tearing up because he lost his homie. Like that is... To me, where I love Death of Superman because it made sure to connect people with the idea of Superman, but also connecting with the fact that, like, here's how much he's done for people and how people feel about that. Yeah. Who knew that Bibbo could make you tear up? Right? <sighs> My man. <laughs> All right. So we've been talking about DC for a bit. So we got this crazy question here. Uh, from the rival side, I can, no, I'm joking. <laughs> Andrew and I, we both love um, all the stuff that comes out, whether it be from DC, Marvel, uh, Image, Dark Horse. And I'm talking about like Invincible and all that. 
So we love all that kind of stuff. So we did get this question uh, from someone asking us, what is your favorite and least favorite thing about Marvel? <gasps> Can we say we're a DC podcast? <laughs> um, if I was talking about my least favorite thing, I think right now, I assume this is like a general question about the MCU and state of that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I comics. Would so, yeah. Yeah, I'm um, not asking you to tell me what was your least favorite thing about Spider-Man issue number 37 or something. Oh, <laughs> God, the lettering. Um, <laughs> no, I think at this point, my least favorite thing is that... Now, I'm not a person who says, like, Phase 4 was entirely trash. I think that is severely discounting the work Shang-Chi, Moon Knight, Wakanda mm-hmm. Forever, um, and others had done. Um, so I don't, I'm not a universal phase four hater, but now looking back at where they are and where they're going in the near future, I do think they have tried to pump out too much, uh, in such a straight time, um, such a short time. I think a recent reviewer over at film theory, I think he, he put together the amount of time that it would take you to watch everything in phase four that they released in two years. And the combined time of that was more than it would take you to watch all three phases. So what? Yes. Yeah. Put the numbers together and it would take you longer to watch phase four than it would to watch phases one, two, three all together. Partially. Yes. That's because partially there's a lot of TV to watch too. So you get six hours plus of content. But also, you know, you have I Am Groot and, uh, you know, Mm. Werewolf by Night and all these specials. So I do think that Marvel has prioritized quantity um, and always being present over the quality it used to have when we had two to three movies a year. And that was it. (laughs) That's Mm. all you got. (laughs) Uh, So I do hope that Marvel slows down, that it remembers that it has great characters and makes amazing casting choices and and tr- trust people um so that's a, that's my least favorite thing right now the the overwhelming quantity but my favorite is that it does still marvel still does take chances um mm-hmm. in in live action it's, it's certainly i'll i'll give a good a positive and a negative <laughs> and but both of them i'll i'm gonna spin for you so one recent negative I can think of them taking a chance on is Modoc. And everyone mm. is everyone comes and says, "Oh, how could they do this to Modoc? This was ridiculous." But the thing is that character is ridiculous. There is no way, there's no CGI, there's no practical effect that is going to make a giant floating head in a little robot suit with tiny legs look good. It's not happening. I'm sorry. We're not <laughs> there yet, and I don't think we ever will be in live action for Modoc. But the fact that they were willing to try to take this big swing on a character that wouldn't necessarily translate is a good sign. Because strictly comparing to DC live action, look at the last 10, 15 years, Batman, Superman, mm-hmm. Batman, Superman, Batman, Superman. And the biggest chance they've taken is... Blue Beetle, maybe that's their biggest risk yeah. in the last 20 years in live action cinema. So, yes, Marvel does swing and miss quite often. 
um, with individual characters and remixing things. But on the that same token, it does you do get to see them at least. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's like yeah, Guy Gardner movie probably terrible. But I would at least see Guy Gardner in live action, which I don't think has ever happened, you know? Um, So, yeah, I do like its chances because when it does take a swing in uh, for the fences, you get two Spider-Verse movies that revolutionize the medium. So I think Marvel's willingness to take chances in live action, its flexibility to do so, is what I admire about the company, even when it hugely misses and lets us down i do think at least you can say they did go for it and and with the reluctance warner brothers seems to have at least in live action animated Mm. it's all fair game arrowverse (laughs) also all fair game but for some reason that reluctance has extended to the movie world so that's my marvel uh that's my marvel spiel how about you okay all right i see that i see that you're right there's a lot of they do take a lot of swings. My favorite thing that about Marvel is the world building. So there's, you know, I'll say there's a bunch of other IPs out there that have probably are doing fine tuning their world building even better than Marvel is. But I think the fact that over the years we've had like movies and TV shows that are connected like crazy. And I'm speaking about even like in the early years, we had Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the entire like Defenders saga with Net, um, Daredevil, Jessica, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage and, and Iron Fist. Like those shows found a way to actually still be heavily connected to the um, to the movies for, you know, for a decent part of it. Unfortunately, things got caught up and, you know, alternate dimensions has to be created for some reason. Um, but I think that what they do well is just like the storytelling there's hardly ever any moments where somebody calls out the fact that something was wrong based off of another film or another show i think that they do that continuity is is amazing like i was impressed with um the arrowverse and what they did but i think that marvel did it in a way that is just like even the little jokes and references that might come up are heard somewhere down in another show like this is probably like a a random deep cut for me that i don't even know even it still has any connections but at one point during um the early stages of the marvel movies i think the first time i noticed it was with guardians of the galaxy but people kept saying the number 12 percent, and i was like why does that keep coming up and to this day i still don't know what the meaning behind it is if there's anything <laughs> i don't know but the fact that it was just like that happened to, like not only in that movie, but in several others shows to me that like people are talking with one another. It's the same thing that I love about comics where it's just like, we know something is happening with this one character here. So in this other book that maybe this character has crossed paths with the other character that we first mentioned, something plays out that connects the two in some weird way, but it works. And I gotta say the world, so because of that, the world building and the connection um, I give like two thumbs up to Marvel on that. But for my least favorite thing, this is probably going to be a bit outside of the company, actually. And I feel like I'm going to, this is going to be a target on my back for this, but I got to say the fans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. So, so sorry out there. I mean, I'm a Marvel fan too. Um, but I think we are reaching an era of fandom 
where divides are being created because people are getting upset about what gets put out there. And there's a lot of people who still tend to gatekeep and ridicule others for not knowing certain things. And I see that a lot, unfortunately, now growing, especially on the Marvel side. Um, because it, why are we even review bombing movies before they come out? Because the lead isn't like a cisgendered heterosexual white male. Like, come on. Like, mm-hmm. do you think that's the only person that's out there? Is that the only person that can actually be a hero? It's stupid. So that's why with the fans in that particular case, I'm a little upset because it doesn't really seem like there's any way to stop that from happening or any conversation from that, that happening And it leads into a lot of images being used that can be harmful because of their ideals. Like we are still in an era where, um, you know, I'm as a black man in America, I'm still I'm still tense up whenever I see someone have a Punisher logo on their car um, Mm. because that got quickly co-opted by the kind of like all lives, blue lives matter group that, you know, clearly are not feeling safe about me being here. I don't know what your plans are, but I know that I definitely feel unsafe when I see that. When I see that and it's just like you people out there who are taking symbols and using it in a way to create harm, to have harmful ideals, that that's what I don't like because none of these heroes would ever kind of fall in line with that kind of mindset. Like if you're taking the Captain America which played out very well in Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Captain America doesn't stand for what John Walker was going to stand for. Hence why uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier had to come down and put that, put that, shut that down as quick as they did. So this is how, you know, and um, even in playing out in the, in the world uh, for Punisher's logo, Frank Castle's co-creator even said that he never wanted it to be used in this particular way. So, Take some time, people out there, Google skulls for justice, because this is where the co-creator Jerry Conway said, you know, I want this this logo to be used for Black Lives Matter or even just to show that, like, we don't condone the use of violence because of white supremacy. Um, Mm. So for me, it was always just like right now, as I mentioned, I'm seeing this growth of fans who are willing to put down the voices of other individuals because it doesn't look like them. And unfortunately, you just got to get over the fact that the world isn't going to all look like you. Uh, There are many other stories out there, which is why I appreciate when Marvel takes those swings where we have Shang-Chi, Miss Marvel, Wakanda Forever. All those movies show a BIPOC individual who is just as powerful as this individual you're thinking it should be the epitome of heroism. And here they are doing the same thing, fighting the same fight, trying to make sure that everybody knows that at the end of the day, that they can be safe. They have dignity, they have respect and they don't have to be afraid of someone else not liking them just because of the color of their skin or their background. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Uh, Yeah. The co-opting of these logos um, for social gain is just insanity, Um, especially (laughs) with the Punisher, which you guys are doing exactly the opposite of what Frank Castle stands for. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a, a fandom that, you know, I always say there's certain fandoms. I won't call anyone out because, you know, we need viewers. Um, <laughs> but 
there's certain fandoms that they will, you know, bully their, they'll intimidate mm-hmm. to the creators into when they don't do exactly what they want and don't leave the creators any room to actually go and do. So it's like, strike that balance, you know, choose, choose your battles. Okay. Mm-hmm. On, on what you want to fight for. But yeah, overall, I, yeah, I agree. The, yeah. And also the one to say too, it's not just like a Marvel thing, but, um, you know, you hear it a lot from Marvel just because unfortunately they have taken the number one spot in terms of like superhero storytelling and what's out there. Like everybody is comparing Marvel to a lot of other studios and creators. It happens in DC. Like we, we see, like it, it happens so much in DC that I was afraid even back in the day to tell people that I used to think Lex Luthor was black. Uh, but that was <laughs> from the Superman the animated series. So it was just like now it, it happens. Like we're gonna there there's there are a lot of fans who are gonna be welcome and opening to um shows that we talk about, especially like us, where we just wanna just shooting the shit about random stuff that's about happening in these DC worlds and about Marvel or other things. And then unfortunately there are gonna be fans who kind of want to keep it within the bubble. And that shouldn't be the case. Just pop the bubble. We are, we're all here. We all like the stuff. So now we're going to swing it over into another question. Um, this is going to be a bit more personal. I mean, probably a little bit more personal than my last answer here. Uh, but we were asked, are y'all in Brooklyn? Uh, because it was asked, can we do a meetup and a, host a live convo on one of the DC animated movies or shows? Nice try, IRS, but you ain't getting me that easy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I can say I'm in Brooklyn uh, for sure. Uh, didn't stray too far from my roots. Are you ready to disclose your information to the government? <laughs> yeah, I feel like uh, it got revealed by accident one time when we both joked about a uh, specific bus line. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, too, am in Brooklyn, uh, born and raised, honestly, never left. <laughs> uh, but we do record in separate locations. So that's why I think we've only recorded together probably like three times now. Yeah. And one of them uh, doesn't count because it all got erased. Oh, yeah. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Death in the family. More like death of my laptop. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I think in terms of like doing a meetup and hosting a live convo, you know, personally, I I am open to it. I think really just the main obstacle I have is like finding a place to host that kind of thing. Like we we like our our listeners, but I I don't think I'm ready to welcome y'all into my home like that. I have no space. Y'all. I'm recording gotta, from a little a little booth that I made. We gotta see him on the stoop. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, you know, with some theater connections, I have a few, few places where it could be, uh, it could work out. So yeah, I think if there's definitely enough interest, we can, and we see what the numbers are, we can plan accordingly. Um, yeah, is it going to be in Shamar's living room or somewhere else? That's up for you to decide. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think really just like, yeah, if of people are in support, just show your support so we know how many to do, to plan, what dates. And yeah, I think we could, it would be fun to do it live. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, again, just saying can't be in my living room. Like I got no space and 
ah, I think my snack game for multiple people is not that great. I'm a, I'm a snacker myself, so I only just order for myself. <laughs> you share one bag of chips. <laughs> yes, it's like house party rules. Eat when you at home. <laughs> All right. So next question, following up on this, like kind of live convo or at least like seeing us, because it seems like this is a question that pe- people want to see us, Andrew. <laughs> like we're popular. <laughs> Finally. Um, <laughs> uh, so the next question is, would you ever consider a vlog? Um, because and vlog meaning that we would not only just cover like DC stuff, but just stuff in general, um, everything that's out there. Uh, well, you know, video is harder than audio <laughs> <laughs> for several reasons. Um, yeah, I guess. It's not something at the forefront of my mind personally. Um, I think it would, if there was a reason, like if there mm. was something separate we were doing, then all of this for a vlog. Um, yeah, but at this point, um, I don't know. I don't. I don't see. I. I. I, I get it. My expressions, but uh, uh, yeah, I'd, I'm not. I can't think of a, a what we would do on that. That would be different. But if you have ideas, um, I'm open. Yeah, I, I, I would say the same thing. Um, we've kind of done. Uh, is it kind of a block? This is where my age is showing because I'm not <laughs> like I'm not entirely too sure what this like what specifically is a vlog. But I do feel like when we did like our train, like an Amazon workout with Watts Elite and also our commercial for the Calendar Man Halloween special. To me, those feel kind of vloggish and those are fun. Um, you know, I was definitely sore though, like for at least like five days after the lots of lead <laughs> training. Um, but yeah, I think really it's kind of similar to what you said. My biggest hurdle is like trying to figure out what the content would be. But something I did kind of think of, I guess like maybe our late, latest set of episodes, like those scenes that I love, um, might work. My um, yeah, but if there's any other ideas out there. Yeah, let us know, because um, I think that it's really I'm thinking about it more so within the scope of like the DC world. But I, I can see where it's just like other stuff being talked about. Uh, we just have to clear it with our overlords over ever kind of entertainment first before <laughs> we even step into that. We're not trying to create any kind of battle for supremacy with <laughs> with forgotten entertainment here. <laughs> um. All right. So next up. Hopping back over into the DC world, this is, I think, going to be the question where we might end up spending the most time on this episode on. Uh, Now, people out there, we know that there's a ton of DC animated shows that we grew up with and love. I think one of the ones that we love the most has been Batman Beyond, the reimagining of Batman in the future because Bruce Wayne finally got old and finally retired. Um so we were asked if you can cast Terry McGinnis, Terry McGinnis, who was the um, person who took over for Batman later on in, in this series. Who would you cast and who would you have write or direct a live action Batman Beyond movie? Yeah, this one, uh, I went real deep down the rabbit hole because uh, there's. There's so many options um like my first knee-jerk reaction was denis villeneuve but Mm. he's already done it so (laughs) he's already (laughs) done a cyberpunk um futuristic movie so i was like all right let's 
let him let him do that. So um, the two names you're going to hear are pretty going to be you probably won't recognize them when I say them, but hopefully when I break it down, it'll make sense. So first off, I'm throwing Mr. Toby Haynes and you're not going to recognize the name right away, but he did direct a little show you might have heard of called Andor Mm -hmm. and on Andor, what he did was which I've always had an issue with in Star Wars universe. I think the stories are always really compelling and the character arcs are compelling, but I don't think the most attention is paid to acting performances scene to scene. I just think that that they let the characters and the story carry a lot of it. And they don't really let the actors have these little moments of subtlety and stuff. So I would like to see him be brought into a sci-fi setting for this character of Terry McGinnis, who is going to be a lot of subtlety and it's going to be a lot of nuance, especially with his interactions with Bruce Wayne, who is now aged and has carries a lot of baggage. So I think he can do a lot. Like I think of how um, Stellan Skarsgård's character in Andor was this very bitter person who had to put on a mask in front of other people sounds like Bruce Wayne to me. And um, so I think he could really, I think he could really bring a lot to this world. And as for the actor, I'm also going to go unknown because um, Terry McGinnis, in my opinion, is Asian. <laughs> so <laughs> um, that, um, so I was thinking a lot of the Asian actors I'm personally familiar with, are probably a little too old for the role. So one person I think would probably fit the age group by the time this would get rolling is Arnold's son. And Arnold's son, you've only seen (laughs) in Shang-Chi. He was Mm -hmm. the teenage Shang-Chi in that movie. So admittedly, I haven't seen a lot of him, but I know... I know physically he can do the role. Um, and I know emotionally he showed a lot in his very limited screen time. And what's important for Terry is that kind of bad boy, rough around the edges persona. Right. So I think he definitely has that edge. He has that killer instinct. Uh, so I would like to give him a shot because if they were younger, I would also consider Ben from Umbrella Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I would also consider... Uh, Ryan Por- Potter, mm-hmm. I give him a chance, Beast Boy. I give you another chance, <laughs> but I think based on what I know, and I also want to still go back. I'm still looking for more established. So if you have established young Asian actors that you think so, please share them with us. But I think um, from what I know now, Arnold's son is my forefront. Uh, who is who? Who is in your? perfect Batman Beyond film. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to say quickly too that I also agree that I see Terry McGinnis as someone who is of Asian Pacific Islander descent. And if anybody out there disagrees with us, look at that show again and also check out uh, Gotham, I believe is White Knight currently, where they are reimagining uh, Terry McGinnis to be half Asian because of the look that he has. 
first one that did come to mind would have been Ryan Potter because again, yeah, he was great. He's um, you know, we know him as the voice of Hero and Big Hero Six, and then eventually Beast Boy. But I fell into the lining of just like you only get one shot <laughs> and you use it on Beast Boy. So that's it. <laughs> um, but no, it would be great if he could come back because um I think he has the the exact style and the uh especially because of his work, I feel like he has the gravitas to kind of like use that terry mcginnis personality really well um some other choices that i had are two individuals who probably again same thing probably might not know too well but i do think that they could really knock it out the park because of their other productions uh so first one is our miss knight mm. um he is from amc's into the badlands but more recently uh at the age of right now i believe he's like 23 or so so I think that maybe he might be a little too old by the time this maybe comes out. If we're thinking, oh, I mean, you can play like up to 10 years younger in Hollywood. Oh, OK, cool. So great. So, um, yeah, but more recently, he played Red Dagger on Miss Marvel. Oh, so, yes, yes. So mm-hmm. I think that between those two shows, um, not only does he have this like cool factor that we already know from Miss Marvel, uh, she fell in love with that. But he also has the martial arts skills to back it up, which I'm expecting to see a lot of, even if it's more of a frantic kind of style, given the fact that Terry McGinnis is now putting on the Batsuit. So I think that being able to dial it back a bit is something that I would love to see because I want to make sure that someone who's in this role has this martial arts skill set, but knows that, like, don't go too hard because we don't want it to look like you know exactly what you're doing. Um, so Armist Knight will be one choice. And then someone who's even younger, who might who I feel might be my top choice here, is another kind of unknown name in terms of like bigger screen stuff, but um it's Forrest Wheeler. So mm. this is from Fresh Off the Boat, <laughs> the okay. ABC show. This is the middle child who played Emery Huang. Uh so he... I feel like from the times I've watched the show, this kid has Riz. And (laughs) this is exactly what I want to see from a Terry McGinnis. Like from what one of the things I remember clearly about Terry McGinnis is that like everybody was drawn to him in some way, shape or form. He was cool. He um, even though he was like had this responsibility of being Batman. So I think that. Forrest Wheeler, I think he could do a great job in that role because um, one, playing the middle child on it, I feel like, you know, you probably have that idea of just like trying to stand out, but he he did a great job of standing out in that role. Also, in real life, I believe he's a second degree black belt. Oh, so I feel like that already adds it in there for me. It's just like you got a character who's young enough for the role, probably has the concept of creating this like bad boy very charismatic individual of terry mcginnis while also having the knowledge of how to fight a little bit yeah i like uh yeah remus knight especially i do like because he can fight he can fight (laughs) yeah hands for days (laughs) um and then in terms of like I, I I think I got too too into this question. I basically almost casted the entire movie, uh, <laughs> but I do like um was it Toby Haynes that you said for uh yeah, yeah. so I broke this down because I was thinking that I want a director and I thought of two writers for so for the writers I wanted somebody who could 
write action scenes very well. I mean, I'm not entirely too sure what the process is, but I feel like it should play a part while also having someone who can create a futuristic world and know what that looks like when writing it out. So I didn't have the futuristic person that can also create the space for great dialogue. So I'm, I really like Toby Haynes for that right now. And in terms for my action scenes, I'm giving it to Gareth Evans because for the writer director of films like Raid and Ray 2. Yeah. Uh, this, these wild, wild action scenes. And Gareth Evans was actually going to be the director of the Deathstroke movie and the Justice League Dark live action films. Ah, uh, yeah, that makes sense. So give him his shot. <laughs> um, Put him in, and, coach. <laughs> and in terms of the director, I was thinking of extraction. I was thinking because I was like, I want to see those like quick movements because in this universe, Batman, Batman Beyond is a slimmer person. So I think that like seeing him use like the rocket boots and his agility to, to his advantage, I need someone that can like probably keep up with the camera really quick. And that felt like extraction. So Sam Hargrave was the person I thought of for this because I thought of like all the crazy fight scene action shots that we could probably get to because I figured that one of the main things from the Batman Beyond thing is that Bruce is seeing exactly what um, Terry is seeing the entire time. And I feel like maybe he might have it on lock to be able to create that like visual representation of Bruce Wayne watching Terry fight through the Batcave through like Terry's HUD or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I could see that now. Yeah, because uh, Titans did attempt something similar. Mm-hmm. with a Batman body cam episode. But yeah, we can go further. Yeah, so I'll leave it there because <laughs> I don't want to do all of DC's work now. <laughs> so we can hop on over to our next question, uh, which is we've had a TMNT and Scooby-Doo. Um, this is talking about the crossovers within the DC world that we've had. So there have been, we've covered Batman and the TMNT. We have not covered Scooby-Doo and the Justice League. But since we've had those, what other animated properties should Batman or other DC films cross over with? Well, here's the problem. You said animated mm-hmm. uh, because my first choice was Blade Runner. Um, because really Blade Runner, the idea of Batman dealing with a not exactly human enemy and whether he can kill them and being tasked to kill them is something I would pay just unlimited money for <laughs> just as much money as I possibly can. Um, that would be just dope. But short of that, um, we w- do want to go animated. So the idea was to put Batman in a situation where he'd be very unfamiliar, also have to deal with uh, new situations and ideas. So I'm giving him Transformers. Yes. <laughs> this, yes. Is this, is this Batwheels? No. Leave right now for even <laughs> suggesting that. No, it isn't Batwheels. This, I'm talking about, Batman pulls up. He's trying to catch a regular uh, getaway car. Turns out he's chasing a Decepticon. 
um, Optimus shows up and is like, yo, you don't need to be do- doing this. And Batman's like, this is my turf. I'll handle this. And I'm talking about Batman going inside of Decepticons. I'm talking about one. <laughs> and he pulls up to the scene and it's like, oh, Batman, because Batman and Optimus won't get along, of course. But in the final scene, uh, I'm already spoiling the climax. But Batman pulls up solo, goes like, get out of Gotham to Megatron. And Megatron's like, you just came by yourself with your gadgets. Nothing we haven't seen before. And Batman's like, I'm not so sure. And the car flips out. And it's Optimus Prime is the Batmobile. He flips out and he's painted black. And also Batman has brought his Dark Knight Returns suit. So together they go to town on Megatron. I'm talking about Dark Knight Returns Batman, just younger, and Optimus Prime versus Megatron for the soul of Gotham. That's what I'm pitching here. <laughs> okay. Uh, James Gunn, Peter Saffron. James Tucker, Sam Liu, whoever's out there still making all these movies, get on it. That I'm in it. I'm in it for the long haul. I this is <laughs> this is a theatrical release. Like do it right now. <laughs> oh man, that is okay. I'm hype. Yo, just imagining Optimus Prime being the Batmobile would be awesome. Like yes. that would be so cool. And no, it's not Batwheels. This is better. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. Okay. Damn. I feel like mine is not going to be as good now. Because, <laughs> you know, obviously I had to go with first thought that came to mind was uh, Static in the Goofy movie. Um, you know, oh, get the two yeah. black inside peas and throw them together. And we <laughs> it's an instant class. <laughs> uh, but no, but seriously, though, I, I was actually thinking about this. and I was like shocked that we've never done this yet. Ben 10 in the Justice League. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah it's literally right there it's like all the fun dynamics with the superpowers and everything because we got like mr terrific and gray matter so the two of them just nerding out and creating things you got superman and wonder woman with forearms uh flash and accelerate i think batman you know have maybe like an older version of batman who's hanging out with grandpa i think i can't remember the grandpa's name right now oh max grandpa max yes. like he, it's right there. It's like everything is one. I actually have Wonder Woman team up with Gwen because they're both into magic. It's literally writing itself right now. And they're owned by the same people. Yeah. And so I'm like wondering why we haven't done this yet. It's right there. Just stop wherever you're doing and make the film already. Well, after you make the uh, Batman Transformers crossover, actually, then we can work on this. one. Yes. Yes. Speaking of making a convincing argument, this is where we got the toughest question of all. Now, for our Young Justice listeners, you know how much harm did to us. We were asked to make a convincing argument for why harm is the greatest Young Justice villain ever. Can it be done? Well... Uh, since no wasn't an answer, um, <laughs> it, he is the greatest Young Justice villain ever because he almost dissuaded me from continuing watching the show <laughs> because he was so bad. I don't think there's any other villain in their roster that has even come close. So, yeah, <laughs> I think pretty simple. It's clear cut for me. That's the worst villain right there. <laughs> 
Oh man. Okay. Yeah, I I tried to make the argument. I think I got something. Will it be convincing? We don't know. But right now for me, I really oh gosh, I feel like I'm gonna throw up. <laughs> well, harm to me, I saw, I guess is kind of like the antithesis of like the young just any young typical young justice member. Like we have all of our heroes here on the team that were lucky enough to have their powers and abilities developed over time at a very young age with like mentors who knew how to work with their powers and they helped them to grow their moral compass to step into the world of heroism. Uh, Harm just got his powers like at, at he, as, as he was like he was, I don't know how old he was, but I'm assuming that he was very much a young adult um possibly unfortunately may have also had the world show him that he's going to get kicked down a lot so he just turned that into anger and aggression and ultimately we did see that in the episode he did give satana and artemis to work on a lot of stuff um you know and these are two individuals with great skills in hand-to-hand combat and for uh, for satano she's definitely well versed in magic even at that time so the fact that here we are with these and he also had to jump on like basically a lot of cops within New York City um, who who are better than Gotham City cops. I, I'll say that <laughs> they shoot first and ask questions later. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it shows to me that harm has a bit of a strategic mindset behind them, possibly. Uh, so I think that with time and honing his skills he probably could have been a bigger threat to this team. Unfortunately, he fucked around and found out I'm using my PG-13 one F word to say this. Harm just found out that he ain't going to be able to take down the team. Um, That's it. That's wow, all I can that say. Was, that was more convincing than I was expecting. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. I did not believe any of this, actually. <laughs> His fingers are crossed the entire time. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to finally hop over to a better DC character, actually, uh, because we got this very big question. Um, right now, we are one week after. Oh, no, sorry. We are like three days after the premiere of right now was currently the number one film in the domestic box office, Blue Beetle. Uh, so. Without spoilers, can we talk about what makes Blue Beetle so different, dare we say, better than other DC movies? Um, I mean, even I think this argument can also go to some recent Marvel fare as well, to be honest. It simply just goes back to the character. It's not concerned with setting up this wider universe. It's not concerned with doing any homework Mm -hmm. to figure out who the character is. This movie is purely and simply about one kid (laughs) trying to make it in a world that has a very stereotypical idea of where he should be in life and where his limits lie. And just telling the story of a, of a kid that gets a chance to surpass those limits and while trying to figure out what he is, um, is, really important i don't think now on like not to say this is you know on quite the level of something like a spider-verse in terms of identity and and 
um, an identity movie, but in terms of representation um, for people who don't get to see themselves on screen as the heroes a lot, mm-hmm. um, as I'm like, I'm half Puerto Rican, so it's a, it's different for me um, in a lot of ways. But other Hispanic countries are often villainized in film. Just go look back. I'm not even going to give you the sources. Look back and you'll see. Uh, more often than they are put in heroic positions. So to have a heroic Hispanic character at the center surrounded by a, a family that's supportive not perfect, but supportive and doing their best, living up to their tradition and their family is important. And we need more of those. And everyone deserves a film like that. So that for those reasons, Blue Beetle stands out um, among the other films. Yeah, I I definitely agree with all of that um, because and yeah, and I was excited to get this question too because it is literally right off the heels of when I've seen saw the film. So Andrew and I we saw the film together, and I haven't told him this, but I went again uh, a couple of days later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and both times you do, I got, I you know, I felt the emotion that I had. I laughed. I had tears. You know, like it's a great film because of the fact that it does connect with a character who you can connect with. And I think that's the most important thing. Um, I think that we've kind of lost the sense of that a little bit as of late. Like there's some that that do that, but then I think it's like now it's more so maybe at times like a check mark on a lot of studios to just say, oh, we got we gave them a black character, but they're not going to focus on any kind of like black stories. Um, not saying that happens a lot, but it, it does happen where you know, people leave and just like, I don't connect with this person because it's not my story. Um, you know, and for Jaime in particular with Blue Beetle, I even though I'm not of Hispanic descent, um, my family is from the West Indies. But so like, even though that we have that difference there, I still saw a lot of myself in this story. You know, not going into too much spoilers, but Jaime is just a person who shares that he's just out of college trying to find a decent enough paying job to repay his family for all that they've done for him and get them out of where they are currently. That is something that I've connected with for more or less all my life. Like I am still working towards that. Um, And because of that, I realized that's not a dream that I just have. That's a dream that we all share, no matter what your journey is, what your skin tone is. If you are in your late teens to 20s right now, you've had that thought at least cross your mind at least once or twice, probably a day, probably a second. Um, and then so that's why I saw that that connection was formed. And then for people who are in their 30s, um, you know, maybe they finally found a way to establish their life. We have this crazy moment of just pure on nostalgia happening where it's just like references are being brought up. But more importantly, they created a full family that resembles a lot of what we see. Like we have the the crazy uncle, the sibling who's going to make fun of us, but know in the end of the day, they got our back. And the parents who are always going to be proud of us, even though they might not tell us everything because in their minds is to protect us. And I 
remember hearing stories growing up of some of the crazy things my grandmother probably did. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like hearing that made me connect with the character even more. And I don't have kids, but I can see from the kids that were like in the crowds, they were all in it for the explosion, the super suits and the toys. And there's just so much. So it's like no matter what age you go in to see this movie, you're going to be there in some way, shape or form. So that's why I think that the DCEU hasn't really had that in a while. And I was thinking about it recently. Most of the highest rated films from the DCEU are these kinds of stories like look at wonder woman um yes it was the first film to feature a female lead and some of the important things that came out of that was also the dynamics that she had with the team that she was working with that included like steve trevor and the other individuals who were a diverse group of individuals Mm -hmm. look at shazam i'm talking about shazam one That was also well-received because once again, you have a kid, yes, white presenting, but his whole entire family didn't look like him. He was raised by two parents who were possibly Latino. And then you had like black family members and people of Asian descent. Like basically his world didn't just look like him. So the DCEU, I think because of the fact that we've had so many movies where it's just like, the story is that the hero is a lone individual who's facing off against a lonelier villain who are just trying to find some connection between themselves by creating and then having that master plan be like the poor, the uh, the lower income individuals duke it out for supremacy or something. That's not mm. the world that we live in. We live in a world where it's just like the person next to me isn't going to look anything like me. But I know at the end of the day, there's a lot of similarities that I have with that individual. So I think. That's where I that's the reason why I love Blue Beetle a lot, because it showed us a world that looked like my world. And you also have that massive scarab on your back. So that's also. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah finally, some representation for that. For that. <laughs> <laughs> it itches sometimes. <laughs> um, next up, uh, we got another question about a world that we've dived into quite a lot, which is the milestone universe. Um, So the question that we received was what are the chances that we can see a milestone crossover in the DC animated universe? I think fans deserve a modern adaptation of the blood syndicate or static shock. And for people who are confused about the names I just mentioned, just head on back (laughs) to our second season. Honestly, you'll be fine. (laughs) You'll get it. Um, so I'm going to give a, uh, a controversial take here. Mm-hmm. I don't think they should do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they should do a crossover. I think they need to do a damn show yes. <laughs> for themselves. Uh, the reason I'm mentioning this is be- for two reasons. One, it's a running joke in our Young Justice episodes, but the way they just kind of shove static to the side is quite bananas mm-hmm. <laughs> like you're talking about a character who carried their own show being treated as an accessory this isn't akin to like if you had the batman for the batman animated series in teen titans go and he was just there in the background for quick <laughs> gags and you're like well that's not exactly what i wanted here um so i don't think they 
they do just, just static justice there. I think Black Lightning, I love the show, but I do think it baited static a few times throughout mm-hmm. the series. And only to, and I know there are rights things, there's complicated things, but again, it was baited but not given to us. So I think until they can give us a full static blood syndicate milestone product, they cannot get away with just dumping them wherever they want and saying we did it. I need them to fully commit to this idea before I can be comfortable saying, okay, now cameo, cameo in a Harley Quinn episode or something like that, (laughs) Um, which I wouldn't mind, but not until they get given their due because it's way too long. It's been way too long. They need to sort that out first. Yeah. I'm I'm on the exact same boat. I don't think that it should be a crossover first. I think it's time for us to finally get uh, the creative space for ourselves in this way. Do exactly what happened with Blue Beetle. The emotion that we have with Blue Beetle, do that for Milestone already. Because, you know, it's the story being told in there was so straightforward. Didn't have any drastic world building that was involved in it. We can tell the stories that are happening on like on our block. And for Milestone in particular, um, I know there are plans and I'm like 60% sure if it's, I think it's still happening. I'm like 60% sure it's still happening, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and this is because, and I think we talked about it back in our DC Fandom uh, review episode back in 2021, like when we first started the podcast. And it was announced during that time, during the milestone panel by the creators. And it was announced that we were going to get not only a string of the comics, which are ongoing right now, but we're also supposed to get an animated film that had every single one of them. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's been any mention about this film since then. It's literally just a note on the Wikipedia page for DC animated movies. And that's been like two years. So that's why I'm like, at first I was like unsure. Maybe it was just like, maybe they're just taking their time. However, the thing that I kind of upset me the most was the fact that I think it was like in 2022, there was a rumor that there was going to be an animated crisis on Infinite Earths that we shared about. And then it was announced this past, um, like last month or so during San Diego Comic-Con that there was going to be a 2024 release of this film, which has already been set up in the end of the 2023 Justice League War World film. So why is it that that film that was originally a rumor just got basically pushed to the front of the line? At this point, let me be honest, I wasn't, I didn't need it because would I like it? Yeah, I don't need it though. I need a milestone movie at this mm-hmm. point because the last time that we've had anything strictly milestone was definitely just static shock since then like you mentioned andrew it's always just been like here's a character popping up here's hardware here's um icon here's rocket here's static in the young justice series and it does feel like they do get pushed to the wayside a lot and i have some comments about that for season four which i won't talk about now because i'm saving all for that episode (laughs) yeah yeah i think it just goes back to when we were doing our year by year dc yeah. How many times do we have to say Superman, Batman, Superman, right. Batman? <laughs> That's why I don't think anyone else. But I'll, I'll, to clarify, anyone else who has gotten an adaptation in the last 10 years can sit down for a minute 
and mm-hmm. let some other people play in the toy box. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And that's why I'm personally 60% sure that this is probably still happening. Um, because if it's standalone, I think that there's possibility it could be released pretty soon. Maybe we'll get that announcement again sometime soon with like cast list and all that. But if it's happening in the Saffron Gunverse that's being created, the DCU, I don't think we're going to get this film for at least another decade. Yeah. Which, to me, sucks. Because I think that Stag has ended over 20, almost 20 years now. And, you know, it'd be nice to see um, at least, if not Static, Blood Syndicate, Icon, Hardware, just getting some more respect on where they're being put in. All right. Now with that, that brings us to our final question of the Ask Us Anything here for our 100th episode. We were asked, if you could write an episode for a DC animated series, what show would it be? I didn't want to go easy on this. I wanted to go as obscure as possible, and I finally found the right combination of obscurity. Mm-hmm. So, my pitch is, there was an animated CW series called Vixen that mm. followed the live-action Vixen and featured some cameos from other Arrowverse people. Now I want an episode of Vixen <laughs> where she is pulled in to save the Legends of Tomorrow from Time Jail. Mm. And this would also have another benefit because since we're dealing with time travel, we, everyone's here. Like Super Smash said, everyone's here. So I'm talking about they go back in time, they get Ollie, they get Flash, they get Laurel, um, whichever Laurel you want. They get everybody to go and save the legends and the conceit here will be so I'm going to say like one legend got away. Let's for fun sake say it's uh, Gary. Gary is the one putting <laughs> this ragtag of team together. We would bring back the as many actors are willing to come back to do cameos as the characters because it's animation. So mm-hmm. they just throw out a few lines and we would have all of them come back and they save the legends. And I'm, I'm going to give away because this is never going to happen. So I'm going to give you the arc. <laughs> But they have this triumphant mission together. Families are reunited. Everyone is um, happy and content. They see people who have died in their time and everything. They escape. Um, and before we get to this epilogue where we break down what happens to each of the characters in the future, there's uh, we also reunite old legends. So everybody, old legends who have left the team can also come back. So right at the end, it's revealed that none of the people they pulled from time will remember this. So that Mm. that last conciliation, the last reconciliation, the last hug between siblings and family members, they won't remember that. And when they're like, if then who is going to remember this? They're reminded that even though all of you are going to forget, sorry, legends will also forget that they reunited is like, even though all of you will forget, Remember, you didn't get into this because you wanted to be heroes. You wanted to be legends. Mm. And this story will live on, even if you don't remember it. And then they go on to their happy lives. So wrap up Legends of Tomorrow. It would finally bring together all these characters that have never gotten a chance to share the room because of budget. 
and um it and uh vixen gets more screen time yeah there uh, we go yes, yes. more screen time for vixen <laughs> right, this definitely is about yes, vixen. yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh that's a good one that's a really good one i too kind of wanted to go the route of like obscure you know i like vixen was a top one for me followed by like uh what's it called uh Ray and the Freedom Freedom Fighters, oh, yes. yeah. It's yes. Like basically, if it's on CWC, which I think now I think all the stuff is on Max. I would love to write for that, but um, I think the top one for me would always be uh the 2004 the Batman series. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. I love that show because for me it kind of showed me the true Playboy Bruce Wayne. Because I just thought that he just did such great work in like showing how cool he was, and then get, have also this great character development as they started to introduce like Bat, um, Robin and Batgirl. Uh, so I don't have quite an episode for that because although I would love to write for it, I'm not a great writer, <laughs> so I probably would do it a bit of a disservice. Um, in fact, I would say that like. I do like voice acting a bit more, but if I were to find some way to combine the two, by which I mean um, write my own lines for a TV show, it probably would have to be another obscure series, Legion of Superheroes. Oh, yes. Yes. This was a fun series um, featuring where it's just like a young Superman being brought to the future, kind of a lot like what happened in the Superman, the anime series when they first kind of show the Legion of Superheroes in the animated production. Uh, they finally got their whole series. But I think that the reason why I would love to write for that is because uh, it has such a big ensemble cast of like all these different superheroes that you can just play around with any kind of character that you want and be really flexible in the storytelling. So I think it'd be cool to kind of write a story, maybe even um, focusing on like Lightning Lad or Timberwolf um, because I would love to like maybe tell a story about it. just like what was it like for them to be kind of different and experiencing kind of creating some kind of like allegory to some kind of like social issue that's happening like Timberwolf not being seen and respected in the community mm. because of his monstrous looks and you know him feeling like he has to pull away from these like forward presenting spaces because he knows at the end of the day, like he's going to end up causing more harm than good. And maybe there's another character who's working as like the PR of the Legion of Superheroes is telling him that uh, maybe you should work on this like back end behind the scenes thing. And then he finally just says, you know what? No, I'm going to be out there to help save people because my team needs me out there. And this is where he gets a moment where he saves someone like, you know, you throw in your typical child who's afraid of everything and mm -hmm. they just gravitate towards Timberwolf the entire time because they're just amazed. And this is where he gets like at the end, the hug from the child and just saying things like, you're so awesome. I love your claws. I love your, you know, your, your like wolf like features or even pretending to act like Timberwolf and being like, I'm Timberwolf, I'm saving the day. That kind of thing. Um, so I think for me, that's where I would like love to write an episode about for Legion of Superheroes. And you're not a writer, he says. <laughs> <laughs> when I get passionate enough, maybe I could I could throw something together. <laughs> All right. So that 
list fills out all of our questions. Um, I want to thank all the listeners again for um, you know taking the time to show to send us these questions. We I I loved every bit of it. How about you, Andrew? What are you thinking? I mean, we literally wouldn't be here without you. So thank you. Yes. <laughs> uh, thank you for not taking the chance to ask our social security numbers. Ha! Mm-hmm. You didn't get the loophole. <laughs> That's what we were seeing. That was our Willy Wonka test and you all failed. <laughs> um, you could you could have stolen my five dollar fortune, but now you get none of it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was it was so fun. Always keep the questions coming. Um, even if we're not doing a full Q&A, it's always fun to hear from you guys and what you're thinking and what you're interested in hearing more of. So, yeah, keep them coming. Mm-hmm. And I want to give a special thank you to everyone that asked us these questions across our social media pages, uh, making this 100th episode possible. So thank you to my wonderful wife, Rocio. We also have EC, Karma Warhawks. We got Dave over at the 1FC podcast. And also wrapping it up, we got our friends over the Forgotten Entertainment family, yet another Star Wars podcast. So thank you all again for these wonderful, thoughtful questions. Uh, thank you for just like interacting with us all the time, letting us know like what you're thinking and sharing with us, like just even sending some of these questions in and letting us asking us like what stuff we're going to cover next. Um, and speaking of covering next, we're going to continue our coverage of Young Justice. We'll start back up. Again, next week, uh, we'll be wrapping up season three and uh, several more episodes because of that, because the season three is a long set of stuff. But we will continue to run through our DC animated worlds. Um, and as always, remember to take care of yourselves. And remember that if you can create a movie about any character, just create a character that we actually connect with. Don't be out here trying to tell me that I'm like Batman. I'm not. I have no money. And if your name is Denis Villeneuve and you still do want to do the Batman Beyond movie, go ahead, man. I, I, don't, I'm not, don't let me stop you. I just, <laughs> I'm just trying to give him a different choice, but do it, man. Please. <laughs> you did, Dune. Thanks again for listening. Yet another DC animated podcast is a proud part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. If you liked what you heard, leave a review and share us with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts and on social media at YADC Animated Pod.